Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, over the garden wall. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today we are talking about Over the Garden Wall, episodes 5, 6, and 7, Mad Love, Lullaby in Frogland, and The Ringing of the Bell. And I, I want to make sure we talk at least, because I know we'll do more of this tomorrow, Allison, once you've seen everything for the first time. But I, I wanted to at least start some of our thoughts on like some of the themes and the ideas the show is playing with as it goes through these episodes. But we can't start with that because we have to start with John Cleese and B.B. Newer. <laughs> and like it just and, and Tim Curry. We have to. We have to start with them. So uh, what did you think of the voice casting in these episodes? And what did you think of the the uh, episodes overall? Oh, it just continues to be really excellent next level voice casting. BB North happens to be one of those one of those famous people that I have like an irrational emotional attachment to. I just love her. I want good things for her. I always feel so excited and gratified when she shows up in things. Um, I feel like she is like an unstoppable talent and I always she's she's a real Richard Schiff I say knowing that Kate Kozik will understand what I mean when I say that I just want good things for her so I was absolutely thrilled um my feelings are slightly less warm toward John Cleese who remains a treasure for other reasons but who is on my shit list at the moment um but it's a great voice performance and um and you know BB North forever BB North for president um I keep at this point. I'm just waiting for Tom Waits to show up. I feel like that's the no, column. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna let you know that Tom Waits is not showing. It's up. Like lower those expectations. John but... Leguizamo, on the other hand, still a wild card. <laughs> yes, I mean always a wild. That is his whole deal. You could say John Leguizamo was going to show up in anything, and I would believe you. In Jane Austen's Emma period, John Leguizamo would be like, "Yes, of course, that makes perfect sense." He just he could fit anywhere. Um, well. Regardless of the absence of Tom Waits, it feels like that is the column that they're playing in. And they're sort of only playing in that column, like people with incredibly distinct voices who aren't necessarily just voices, right? Like pulling from sort of all different areas of the world to come up with just the right cast of characters, which I think is great. Um, so, yeah, very much enjoyed the voice casting. Um, and what was the other thing that we were talking about before we get what to the What is the episodes overall? What did you think? Oh, great. I mean, I had this experience earlier in quarantine, so four years ago, where on a whim, um, our pal Keenan, who is in the chat today, and I decided we needed to watch something just deeply stupid. So we watched the first season of Unsolved Mysteries, the Netflix version, and it was exactly what I needed. Uh, and that experience happens every once in a while where I'm like, oh, this is not just something I'm really enjoying. This is the perfect thing for this exact moment. And that is how I feel specifically today about watching Over the Garden Wall. It's been um, uh, a rough 24 hours for a lot of us in the U.S., um, which I know is not all of you. And Vince sort of unconsciously reminded me of that today because it's easy to be kind of myopic about all of the shit that's happening. Um so uh, without going into detail, it's just been really rough. It's really scary and dark. And um, and I feel like I should probably be putting on a goofy show. Uh, but but we put on Over the Garden Wall some... instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's just and by that, I like uh, my impulse is to sort of perform and pretend that everything is fine. But it's not. And there's something about 
this show that feels like it's the the right kind of balm for the moment. Like there's just enough darkness that it doesn't feel like pure escapism. It feels like it's sort of um, in conversation with, with what's going on in my heart at the moment. It's just sort of perfect. And I'm sure it would feel perfect at other times, but I have a feeling I'm going to remember specifically watching this show in this week for the first time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. There's always danger in fairy tales and fables there should be there needs to be because if there if there isn't then it feels false it feels it can feel condescending and it can feel very light and um sometimes you want that sometimes you want a souffle sometimes you want cotton candy but having real darkness and real terror is validating in your even your escapist fiction because it allows you to connect to that and particularly in, in you know, children's stories and then, you know, fairy tales and that kind of a thing. It's very, very powerful because it's acknowledging that you, know, you don't know what each person has experienced, but there are lots of kids out there who, you know, theoretically fairy tales are for um, some of them, not all of them, of course, um, who have experienced or have been impacted by really traumatic and difficult moments, or even just have watched their family deal with stuff. And so by allowing them to acknowledge, yeah, bad stuff happens. Yeah, the beast is out in the woods and you don't want to be caught by the beast because bad things will happen. Um, it allows, it, make, it, it makes it easier to process and validate what your experiences are and figure out how to move through them and deal with them. So yeah, I absolutely uh, agree. Um, yeah, having that darkness is essential. Uh, what, what do you think of, about these, Noel? Yeah, and I think that these threes, particularly the way that we decided to cut them up, um, worked really, really well. Um, Because we get Lullaby and Frogland, which is a beautiful little episode, up until it's not. (laughs) Um, I mean, you get the whole discussion about bassoon playing and clarinets, which I'm sure Kate will tell us all about in just a moment. And I look forward to that. Um, But then it just slowly becomes scarier and darker but we also get like a really good lesson about well it just goes to show stuff um with (laughs) (laughs) oh he's such a mood as yeah no exactly um with um dear dear sweet um dear sweet greg going like oh i thought the big scary old woman was the monster who was going to eat us (laughs) No, it was the nice old woman, nice old, nice young girl that Wirt very much had a crush on. Oh, <laughs> poor sweet baby. Um, the, but then just that steady de-escalation, that loss of hope, not de-escalation, that loss of hope that then is feeding the beast. Um, the one thing that the woodsman tell, told them not to. So I like how we get this like weird, insane mansion of love. Cool frogs on a boat. And then everything just kind of slowly collapsing and becoming scarier and scarier. Um, And the ways in which that slowly begins to wear on everyone. Even Greg, to a certain extent, kind of becomes more aware of what's going on to the point of, great, so what's the plan? Which is not a question he would have asked six episodes ago at the start of this. It would have been like, no, we're fine. No need for a plan. And now we're kind of almost like winter almost woods. And we suddenly need a plan. And so I find all of it just really, really compelling. And 
Allison, to your point about like how it's particularly hitting, it's hard not to feel that right now with everything. Um, it's hard not to feel like Wart, where just that sense of hope, that feel those feelings of betrayal. By the way, never trust a bluebird, huh? Always trust the bluebird. Um, <laughs> was staring at Kate so hard yesterday. <laughs> like, always trust the bluebird. Um, so all of that stuff kind of building, it's hard not to find those parallels and not to feel those feels, basically, um, as you're watching this with a fresh context. Um, because it plays differently this year than it did last year than it did in 2014. Um, so, yeah, no, it just, it works really well. And I was really glad that all three of these episodes really held up for me in particular. Because yeah. I like all three of these, but Mad Love and Ringing of the Bell are just so good. Mm-hmm. I, I I know people really like Lullaby and Frogland, and I think it's very charming, but <sighs> John Cleese and B.B. Newworth is two tea tycoons whose mansions are so large, they've connected themselves. So good and awful and good. Yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was fun to just really delight in Fred Mm-hmm. Right, I like steal I want stuff. Steal stuff. It's like, yeah, they have so much. They don't know what to do with their money, so they just keep expanding their mansions rather than you know helping people or doing something productive. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing the builders they keep hiring are appreciative, but like they can't even possibly know the extent of of their building, so they just keep going. Kate, are you saying that they're basically just recording a cover of Imagine on their iPhones and sending it out into oh, the Oh no, void? see because that still goes with the intent of maybe cheering people up or reflecting even if it's through the prism of like me and notice me while you do it. This is purely for their own. This is like not even Winchester Mystery <laughs> House because that was at least driven by other elements of mental illness and and trauma, you know? This is just but mm-hmm. what will I do with my money? Certainly not give these children more than a penny. <laughs> um, two pennies. Two well they each gave one They penny. each get a penny. It's an important like, you know, Marguerite is responsible for one of the pennies. Uh, Endicott was would not give more than one penny. That would be ridiculous. Um, so yeah, and and like the I love that this is a kind of show that then takes the aside for you don't know what these hands have done. These hands, there's so much on these. Like it's great. And uh, when you're for, like for me when I was first watching it, um, I was noting and appreciating that, but not really focusing on that. Uh, in the context of this year, that element of the show and uh, that these, this episode in particular really stands out. <laughs> Allison, were there any elements or themes that you've started to see, uh, you know, crystallize for you? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I was more interested in these three episodes and sort of picking out and deconstructing the um, various fairy tale tropes and sort of connecting those to the themes that exist within that genre and that tradition of storytelling. So rather than, I think maybe because the contemporary resonances were just like, like vibrating like this inside me, I was like, yes, I understand that. Now let me put my mind to other (laughs) things. Um, Oh, I'm realizing now my camera's not on. So vibrating like this inside me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, Vibrating like a, um, like a, like a guitar string. Like I was, it was like playing me like an instrument. Like, like the squiggles Um, in the original Fantasia. Yes, totally. Um, so 
I, I found myself dwelling more on like um, why it is that often when you meet a character in a fairy tale that's been transformed in some way um, or uh, cursed or enchanted or bewitched, uh, there's some sort of cost to pay. Um, why it is that we're so intrigued in those stories, um, what the difference is between uh, what Beatrice is experiencing and Lorna's existence um, and the bell and um, and all of that stuff. I, I, I am an easy mark for that kind of storytelling in the first place, but by sort of beginning to roll it around in my own hands and kind of see which pieces of it come from where and how they're defying those expectations, how they're leaning into them, how they're sort of reversing them. Um, I kind of felt like I was also going down the path with them into the woods, uh, which is a really exciting way to watch something. It felt very um, transportive to me, these three episodes. And now I'm just very eager to rewatch the first four Um which I've really enjoyed. And as much as I'm looking forward to watching uh, the last few, however many there are, I'm um, just as eagerly anticipating going back and revisiting with a sort of new eye um, and some new context, all of the things that happened in those first four episodes. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna enjoy that. It, it gains a lot. Like it's a really wonderful watch the first time through, uh, but the second time through you can notice a lot more because you have like you said Allison there's context so yeah I'm sure you will enjoy that when you are, have the time for it um the the next thread I want to make sure we talk about it, there's this theme of family right we see with Beatrice and we're, we've been seeing with um we see with Lorna very much in, in Nancy Whispers and we're seeing with Greg and Wirt no that that was really standing out to me this time watching it connecting um you know the like oh she's not my real aunt Oh, great, because this is terrible. <laughs> and like, we're, and like, we're seeming to, like, the fact that he doesn't call Greg his brother, but he calls him the son of his mother with another guy, <laughs> right? It, it goes out of his way instead of just saying, he's my brother. This is clearly a part of, you know, there's, there's some, there's something there. There's some baggage there versus, uh, and also with, uh, ringing the bell, this, like, this sub, like, subtle sense that, oh, why didn't Auntie Whispers do what they did? And it's because she's afraid Lorna will leave her. So so she's been controlling the, the spirit, but not actually banishing it because she doesn't want to be alone. And she's afraid because they aren't related that Lorna will will leave. Uh, and then, of course, everything with Beatrice is really good. How, how has that been playing for you this time? Yeah, it's actually like, again, these three episodes really kind of hit that. Even with Mad Love, we get a certain extent of their posing as Endicott's nephews um, and trying to help him through this particular type of trauma. So there's this theme of either fake families or found families or the ways in which that that can get all family concepts can get really, really messy. And I really like the honesty about that. So even with like how they're lying to Endicott, but they're still helping Endicott under the skies um, to Beatrice needing to help her family, but has found these two kids who have no purpose in life, apparently, uh, per her original um, pegging of them um, early in the run, that they're now companions and she's ready to 
kind of defend them and also kills a witch with cold air, which is just great. And also that melting effect is beautiful. Um, the air, but, it's so fresh. Yeah. <laughs> and then ringing the bell with Auntie Whispers and Lorna. Um, so I, I really think it like strikes a weird sort of trilogy of codes, even down to also the fact that our frog companion gets finally finds his people, for want of a better word, and gets like a record contract and socks, but then decides to join uh, Rit, uh, Wirt, I should say, and uh, Greg um, to continue their journey. So I think that it's just there's a lot of both like beautifulness in how they explore these concepts, but also like a lot of honesty as well, which I really appreciate even including stuff like Wirt's whole deal about Greg. Mm. Well, there's a lot of uh, discussion of loneliness here too, right? Because we've got mm-hmm. Adelaide who, well, she wants a servant, but she's all alone by herself in the pasture and she, and she's been entrapping people to try to not be alone. Um, and you've got Endicott all alone in his giant mansion. Um, and it clearly getting to him. And then you've got anti-whispers afraid of being left. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in these episodes. Um, Marcus says, I also like the candle effect in the mansion uh, from Mad Love. Yeah. There's, there's uh, the, the thing that struck me about Mad Love this time was this, the specificity of the performance from Cleese. It's a really good performance. It's really good direction and writing too um, for the, for that vocal performance. Um, But then also just, the, the progression of it and the way it plays on your expectations. And then, you know, it, or in, I guess the way it engages with expectations for this type of story. Uh, so I, I particularly enjoyed that. Do, do you guys have any other elements of these episodes you want to make sure we talk about? We haven't talked about Lullaby and Frogland and uh, the lovely singing voice of, of George Washington or Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> um. I mean, a delight. Uh, I want to know. I want my episode of. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing knowing what is the title. See, What's the opposite of pick your favorites? Would be Kate Kelsey. It's. But I, I don't have anything to say. You know, other than I appreciate the acknowledgement that he it's a completely different embouchure. <laughs> I mean, it felt like if. If we were to travel back in time, and you were in real time recapping this series for the AV Club. And then somehow there was a season break after the first four episodes. This is terrible. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> if you were actively reviewing the show and they were able to somehow write in a joke for you, I would have assumed it was an in-joke for you specifically. <laughs> There's a long walk to get to that, but that is how I felt. Um, by the way, I think the opposite title of your favorites is, um, you know what? Good job with Kate Kelsey. <laughs> I feel like that works. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you know me, I'm a soft touch for music and I love a stack of kids in a trench coat gag. It's one of my favorite tropes. I love it so much. One of the actual highlights of my entire life was getting to do that with a friend during a D&D campaign and it worked. Um, it's just the best. So I always enjoy that. I love the reveal. I love that at the end, as long as the music was good, that was really the thing that seemed to matter. Um, and it felt very um, vintage Disney, surreal in a sort of wholesome, unsettling way. Uh, it made me want to go listen to the soundtrack for The Haunted Mansion. So mm-hmm. fun. Marcus says, Greg became a drum, uh, which was delightful. And they just like, <laughs> yeah, his eyes go th- <laughs> through the drum. 
Drum my face. Ow. Drum my Ow. face. Ow. 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 <laughs> well, I have one more thing I want to say. I appreciate, I mean, I love Melanie Linsky in basically everything. And I appreciated her voice performance in the first four episodes plenty. But man, I think she's really good in these. That's part of why I want to go back and rewatch the first four knowing what I know now, which I should not have been snookered by. You're absolutely right, Noel. How on earth? I forgot that, yes, while the bluebirds and Cinderella are helping her get dressed, uh, there are also times when, like, a friendly animal is actually not to be trusted because they're leveraging you to be turned into a human again. Anyway, um, uh, I really enjoyed her voice performance in these episodes, and I'm eager to go back and see sort of what other nuance in her performance I can pick up with my future knowledge. Yeah, they're not particularly subtle about hide that the um that beatrice is hiding something both vocally but also in terms of animation um she looks away a lot when she's talking to them um and it's part of it's the idea that she's always looking for an escape route because beatrice is but also it really plays up that kind of shifty nature of the character um a little bit that i think only comes through really after you hit these episodes. But the entire time I was watching it this time around, I was paying a lot of attention to Beatrice and just went, oh, wow, they're just not hiding it at all, except they are. But it's hiding in plain sight almost. There's a lot of, uh, hey, look over there. Yeah. <laughs> Very Jade Essence Hall uh, with the character. Um, yeah, as you're... As you're... <laughs> Well done, Noel. Uh, very good. Uh, as you as you're you're watching, uh, so I yeah. There's there. I think you'll enjoy that, Allison. The um the the other thing that we haven't really talked much about, but uh, I feel like it should get its time is that while we've talked about it being scary and all, I think like the first time I watched this, uh, we got to shout out Miyazaki for the design for Anti Whispers, but uh. Adelaide and Auntie Whispers and Lorna at various points of that episode are really scary. <laughs> They're like, it's really, really well done. Um, the horror part of, of these episodes. Um, did you guys have a, a one, which of these characters stood out like, or the beast who is, who is currently top creepy villain for y'all right now? Hmm. I think, I think probably the beast, the, I love, a. Uh a sort of mysterious source of power keep to the shadows move all the pieces around kind of big bad um but lots of creepiness it's all um it was reminding me how much i love edward gory like we should not be afraid to give children things that are scary as long as we think about um imagination and horror and not just you know shock and dread it can just be spooky and you can create some really beautiful things so edward gory i love him but it was reminding me both of miyazaki and edward gory gory's a really nice touchstone that i haven't considered but that's a really really good point allison i like that a lot i'll have to bring it up with my partner when we watch these last few episodes because she's also really big into gory um I mean, Andy Whispers is not, like, an antagonist by any stretch of the imagination. She's a, she's a little, like, misguided and lonely, as you were saying, Kate. But that design, coupled with Tim Curry's just excellent voice vo- voice performance for that character, um, for me, just is one of the, like, crown jewel standout set pieces of character design in the whole show. Um, from the weird shape and coloring of her hands... Um, that are too small and too red for the rest of her body. 
um, to the big bulging eyes to the missing teeth that then get kind of mirrored in Lorna's uh, I'm going to eat your skeleton form. Um, just all of that, I think, is just really, really good. But it's like everyone assumes it's just a really, really good fake out um, because we've been conditioned so much through exactly these kinds of stories to assume that the scary looking Auntie Whispers is the one that we need to be afraid of and not the timid one who just needs to keep cleaning because idle hands are the body eating devil's plaything. <laughs> well, I mean, it is such a good, I mean, it's such a good misdirect because like, you know, we are, we are words saying, uh, wait, you're saying that uh, the work, the work will save you. So clean my house again and sort the bones again. And like, lady, you need to get out of there. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, that's what it should be. And then it's not. Uh, so Keenan says anti Whispers was a very good fake out because whew, unsettling. But the Beast is a fantastic big bad. What a voice. And Marcus points out that Whispers could have apparently saved Lorna pretty easily. But yeah, I don't think of her as a villain. I, I When I list her as like one of the potential villains, I mean, the way she's presented initially. Like our, our the way we are encouraged to uh, jump to conclusions about her because of everything she is saying. Like, you best leave this house or you're going to get devoured. <laughs> you haven't been naughty, have you? When it just seems like uh, she's been cleaning your house for you, lady. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, they're they're just, they're upsetting. They're, it's just the right level of, of upsetting. And they're each differently upsetting, visually and orally. Um, when you mentioned Tim Curry, we should say that this was his first uh, performance after his stroke. Mm-hmm. So it was very, like, at the time, I remember being very excited that he was able to work again and to, for him to be back for this. Yeah, it was great. Um, I had to, he was not a voice that I recognized immediately, which feels weird to say about Tim Curry. But um, but I happened to be fresh off watching a, a really lovely video of Tenacious D covering the Time War. Um, so I was sort of primed for some time for some Tim Curry appreciation. If you haven't watched that, I was so skeptical and there is a little like here's Pete Buttigieg, but that's but it's fine. Like the way in which they do it works really really well and mostly it's just a like a really rocking cover. <laughs> like it just is really good. Um so seek that out. But yes, Tim Curry. I love. have such a soft place in my heart for Jack Black. I love his voice. And his performance. And I was watching that and imagining the number of takes he did because of the different costumes and just knowing that every single take has that same energy and that same vocal performance. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I very much appreciate Jack Black. Uh, so, yes, second did go check out the Time Warp video if you want to enjoy that. I love that he's just going full Orson Welles right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's it's such a good look for him. And I can't wait for a commercial about peas from him. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> and they're also they're doing there's going to be a uh rocky horror um something um coming on halloween to raise money for one of the state the democratic it's wisconsin, wisconsin dems yeah yeah it's a part reunion because there are some people from the cast who are doing it but then it's also a bunch of other people and the musical performances are pretty spread yeah. out um Lots of really good, exciting names on that list. Including Rachel Bloom, you know, friends. Uh, Including Rachel Bloom. Yeah. Long-time listeners of the podcast will know we are all big fans of her. 
Um, but yeah. Uh, well, Marcus and Keenan, if you have any final thoughts on these episodes, throw them in the comments. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to throw it to Noel for final thoughts on these episodes. Um, no, they're just both. All both. They're all three. I'm so used to saying both. They're all three. Uh, very, very good. And I was really delighted that we grouped them together. As I'm excited about watching the final three episodes tomorrow. Um, particularly, um. Babes in the Woods. Um, Babes in the Wood, I should say, which, sorry, spoiler alert for an episode title, is um, just... There's some really weird good stuff in that episode that I am excited to talk about. Mm-hmm. Allison, any final thoughts? No, now I want the rest of those episode titles. Okay, well, that's well. Keenan says, I'm really worried about both my precious sons yet again, and uh, you can't see this, listeners, but I'm, I'm drinking some water here because I am parched. <laughs> ah, if only had a teacup to drink this out of that would be meaningful to the people who've already seen it um so the uh episode titles are less exciting uh because we have babes in the wood but then the next two ti- episode titles are into the unknown and <laughs> the unknown <laughs> into the unknown <laughs> yeah Um, God, there are going to be so many jokes, guys. I need you to be prepared. Uh, I already, I cannot believe it's coming to the unknown. Um, I already have a great weakness for Into the Unknown jokes. Um, because it's A, a really good song, and B, just like rife for parody. So I just, I love a good Into the Unknown joke. I, I might have to put my mic extra far away because there's no way I'm not going to bell tomorrow's episode. I'm sorry in advance. I love that song. Sorry. <laughs> Frozen 2, just okay. Great song. Okay. Um, Noel, anything you want to tease? Um, Babes in the Woods. Babes in the Woods has that great sync has a just great sequence in it that I'm really excited to talk about. Um, but I'm also um excited that this episode provided a number of teases for things that we're going to get more of, including Allison's name. <laughs> Jason. What? Oh, Jason Funderburger. (laughs) Jason Funderburger. Um, We're going to find out more about Jason. I'm very excited. Are we really? That is not something I would have. You know what? That would have been an outlandish prediction. I would have been like, I bet we learn a lot more about Jason Funderburger. That's great. What a delight. (laughs) Yep. Uh, We'll talk about it tomorrow. Looking forward to it. And uh, for me, when I was watching this, show the first time episode nine is where everything clicked for me yeah. and took me from really liking it to being like oh my god this is amazing everybody has to watch it right now so i'm curious if if elson and keenan if you have a similar experience or if you know i was just being dense when i watched it the first time and it took you know when everybody else is like yeah obviously it's great from episode one um so so i hope that we get i will be you know not anxiously, but I will be checking my phone for texts. So <laughs> text from Allison um, tonight, but we'll, I guess we'll see. And certainly we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the, the final three episodes of Over the Garden Wall. Um, so thank you to Keenan and Marcus for hanging with us today as we chat about these ones. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.